0: Our theme this year in 2014 has been Free in Christ. Uh, We've looked at a number of different things that uh, we might usually not think of. We talked to start with, uh, Toby and I shared a series on Free and Clear about being debt free. And then we talked about free from sin, and free from fear, and free from doubt is how we've spent this year. Uh, We'll spend this month on a series called Naming the Baby. So we're done with our free Freedom in Christ series, our theme. Uh going to spend this month talking about naming the baby. It's obviously a topic connected uh, with what the world's going to be thinking about this month. Uh, Christmas is coming. Some of you just jumped a little bit when I said that. Some of you thought, hold it now, Christmas isn't for about two and a half weeks. Uh, kind of slipped up on us this year a little bit. Uh, Well, some of us. I asked a dear sister about a week ago, I was talking to her and making a little small talk, and I said, you all ready for Christmas? And she said, yeah, everything's bought and wrapped and under the tree. I assured her that we could get her some professional help for that disorder. (laughs) That's just sick. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But some of you are probably like that, but most of us probably aren't. Uh, Over the years, we've looked at the birth of Jesus in a number of different ways, through a number of different perspectives. Uh, This year, I want to look at it through the perspective of some of the names of Jesus. And you may wonder, when I say that, names of Jesus, well, yes, there's a whole lot of them. Uh, the Bible's full of different names and titles for our Lord. In fact, if we read just one verse, which is going to be our key verse, uh, it, it looks like God couldn't decide what to name this baby. Isaiah 9 6 says, He shall be called. Some of you have heard that before, haven't you? You've, you've waited outside the delivery room for the grandchild or the son or daughter, and the dad comes out and says, the boy, and we're going to name him this. Well, in Isaiah 9, 6, God said, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And the list goes on and on throughout the Bible read one time of a missionary in Africa who was asked by the people there, they said, why are there so many names for Jesus? You keep teaching us different names for him. And his answer was that the beauty and fullness and magnificence of his matchless person cannot be expressed by just one name. That may be the answer. We need all of these names to help us understand the one with whom We have to deal. Naming babies is a little different today, I'll admit, than it was in Bible times. Uh, It seems sometimes to me that parents have a contest to see who can be the most bizarre with uh, names today. Uh, Sometimes when I'm introduced to a baby and uh, I'm greeting him or her and uh, ask what's his name... I'm sure that my eyes get a little bit wide when I'm given the answer, and sometimes I look down at the kid, and and the baby gives you that look, too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sure some of them wonder, uh, why did you name me this? Uh, I got to think about that, and I thought, well, I'll look up and see if there's a list of bad names for babies. On the, in the Internet, and there's a list of anything in the Internet. So sure enough, there's a list of those. Some guy keeps track of bad names, and uh, this is his 2012 or part of his 2012 list for baby boy names. <clears throat> and he goes through all the records somewhere, and his standard is there's got to be at least five of them. He, he doesn't take just one-of-a-kind weirdos. He There's got to be at least five. And here's some of them that he had, uh, Breeze and Cloud. Uh, You know those parents are nature lovers, you know. You know they recycle. They're really into recycling, bound to be. Uh, Lucky and Champ, you know, those dog names. I don't know why you'd give that to a kid, but somebody did. Uh, Dijon, I've heard that somewhere. I know it means something to do with sandwiches. Uh, Kilo. A pilot, Mr. Mars. Uh, and those are just some of the ones that weren't too strange to put on the screen up here that I saw that kind of interested me. Uh, the thing I always think of is the parents that pick these out, you know, they, these are the same parents that in the first grade are going to wonder uh, why little Kilo Cloud is bullied. You know, they're going to say, that's strange. Why are people picking on him? Uh, today's most popular names, change with the Times. Uh, this is the 2013 list, top ten names for boys and girls all mixed up in there, and you may see uh, some of your names in there. Uh, one thing when I was Googling around, I found some history, and I, I really thought this was interesting. This is over the decades, for the last hundred-plus years, in the decade of the 1890s, and I don't know if you can read this or not, the, the best, most popular boy's name was John, and the most popular girl's name was Mary. And those were the most popular names uh, for 50 years. From the 1890s to the 1930s, people married and named their kids John and Mary. Okay. Uh, then in the 30s, Robert slipped in there instead of John. In the 40s, James slipped in there, Uh, but Mary was in there for seven decades. Most popular girl's name. People didn't change much. Uh, Things were kind of standard back in the old days. And then in the 70s and 80s, you Jennifers got in there, and everybody started naming their girl Jennifer, it looks like. And since then, I think things have changed a little more, but, boy, things were really stable for a long time, weren't they? Uh, That's interesting, but I think the main thing that's, worthy noting about it, is I think it seems God is more serious about naming babies. Throughout the Bible, there are babies, and uh, sometimes he changed names later. Uh, People had specific names that meant something. Isaac meant laughter. You know, that's Abraham and Sarah's story of laughing when they heard they were going to have a baby. Jacob means deceiver, and he turned out to be a deceiver. Moses was named drawn out because he was drawn out of the Nile River. Peter, Jesus said, I'm going to call you Rock. He knew something about his personality. Names in the Bible meant something. I think they were more important to God. I put a bullet point in your handout that says the importance of a baby. And, and this is separate from the importance of the names. Uh, let me illustrate that by telling you what I mean here. Uh, the year 1809, I don't know what that means to most of you. It doesn't mean anything to me until I've read a little uh, devotional about it. In 1809, the, the big news, the headlines, was what Napoleon was doing. Uh, Napoleon was sweeping through Austria and winning battle after battle, and kingdoms were falling and nations were changing, and uh, the whole world was in an uproar. Uh, Things were changing hugely in the the makeup of this physical world. Uh, But while those headlines were about what Napoleon was doing, very quietly, without anybody paying attention, some other things were happening. In Britain that year, William Gladstone was born, who became a great statesman. In the U.S., Oliver Wendell Holmes was born that year, who became a great jurist. A lady named Darwin gave birth to a baby boy and named him Charles. And Mrs. Lincoln named her baby boy Abraham. Uh, You see, the point of that little devo I read was that the headlines... Thought this is what's shaping the world. What Napoleon's doing is, is changing the world. But what was really going to change history was laying in a cradle. And we don't see it that way. We see what's going on right now, but we don't always think about the importance of a baby that's going to really change things someday. And that's where our passage takes us today. Uh, let's look at a passage in Isaiah. It's in Isaiah 8, actually, if you want to turn over there. I don't have it on the screen. The point of this passage that we're looking at is, and it was written 700 years before Christ. Okay? Seven centuries before before the baby Jesus was going to be born. And Isaiah is talking about the Assyrians that were going to come overrun Israel and all that. Here's the headlines of the day. Isaiah 8, verse 21. He's talking about what Israel is going to be like. Depressed, distressed, and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into outer darkness. He said things are really bad in the headlines. 700 B.C., things are really messed up. And in that mess, in all those things going wrong, what Isaiah was told by God to talk about was something going to happen a long time from then. And Isaiah says things will change. You get down to chapter 9, and he starts in verse 1 and 3 and 4, and he starts talking about how the things are going to change, how it's going to go from gloom to gladness. Things are going to be different. Right now it looks horrible, but someday things are going to be a whole lot better. The people walk in darkness now, verse 2 says, and they'll see a great light It's going to go from darkness to light. They have a great burden. They're enslaved, if you will. They bear the burden, but that's going to turn to joy. Now, notice Isaiah's words, what's going to cause this? Bear in mind, it's 700 years away. But he says the reason for all this change and everything getting better and the world's headlines not being as bad as they seem, is that for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the reason I made a special point out of that is I think you've got to notice very carefully what Isaiah said. He said, a child is born, but a son is given. The son wasn't born. The son eternally existed. The the baby we're talking about, the son of the living God, wasn't born that day. He eternally existed, but a child was born. And that son became incarnate in him. The reason I mention that is when we get to this time of year and we start thinking about Christmas and the manger and all of that... Don't make the mistake of focusing just on the baby. That's a pleasant thing, and it's a good story, and we all like it, and all of that. But as we think about what's really happening in this prophecy and what really happened that day in Bethlehem, and when we think about what really happened, don't just focus on a baby. A child was born that day, but a son was given. We can so, learn so much from this prophecy and some of the things that Isaiah said, especially when we look at what the Lord named this baby. There are some great ones just in Isaiah's prophecy, and then there's more in the rest of the Bible. There's one We find one back in chapter 7, verse 14. Before he even talked about the rest of it, he let this one slip. Uh, son's going to be born. Virgin's going to have a child. We're going to call him Emmanuel, God with us. We'll talk about that name in a couple of weeks. But then in 9 6, the verse that we're focusing on mostly this month, uh, the key verse that we have Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace are the names of this baby. Today, let's just look at that first one, Wonderful Counselor. Now, you may have a comma in your Bible. You may have one translation that says, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Uh, And scholars argue about that. The Hebrew is not... Super, super clear on whether that's a compound term, Wonderful Counselor, or whether it's separate. His name is Wonderful. We just sang a song about that, so I think that's a good name for him. But I think with most scholarship and with the the meaning, I think, of what's in this passage, I think it's one term. I think Wonderful Counselor is a name of this baby that grew to be the Messiah. And the reason we're focusing on this, and all of them really, is I've never thought about that. Do you ever call Jesus wonderful counselor? Maybe a song or something, or when you read this verse, or when you see a Christmas card with it on there. But we don't go around calling him that. This is one of the biggies. This is in Isaiah's prophecy. Maybe we ought to think of him as wonderful counselor more often. The word for wonderful, P E L E, in the Hebrew, uh, basically it means better than expected, more than you would think you would get, better than most folks could do. But in the Bible, it's always used with in in reference to God. In other places, Job says, "Your works are marvelous; they're beyond." human expectation. They're beyond human experience. They're better than expected. They're uncommon, certainly, but they're beyond what we can even think of. Beyond what a human could do. Wonderful. And that's used over and over for things that God does. His deeds, His works, His creation. They're, They're wonderful. They're beyond what anybody could expect. Now, I said I believe it's a compound term. He is wonderful. And if you just think of all the things in his life and use that definition beyond what anybody could expect, beyond human experience, his conception was wonderful. His birth was wonderful. His preaching, people said, this is beyond anything we've ever heard. His miracles were wonderful. His suffering was beyond what a human should experience. His death was wonderful. resurrection was wonderful. His ascension into heaven to sit at the right hand of God was wonderful, it was beyond anything we could experience or think of. So he is wonderful. But I think that word here is a descriptive for counselor. And the word counselor is. Pretty simple in the Bible, it's about the pictures, a king giving counsel, giving advice to his people. Now, I think it's important that we understand that concept of counselor. Today there's all kinds of counselors. We use that word for a lot of things. Some of them are better than others, and some of them are a lot worse than others, Uh, A modern counselor, the way we use the word, sometimes seems to spend a lot of time trying to decide how to make you happy. You go to a counselor to to find out how to get happy, uh, talk about what you want. Political counselors are like that. What do they do for political candidates? They, They look at the polls. They look at the polls and they advise them and say, here's what you ought to say. Well, a candidate might say, well, that's a lie. Well, it doesn't matter. That's what you need to say. This is my counsel. If you want to get elected, that you do this. You say this. You act this way. Nothing to do with whether it's right or not. See, back when this Isaiah wrote this, a counselor wasn't like that. A counselor was a strategist. A counselor told a king... Here's what to do. Here's how to run this war. A counselor told a businessman, here's the the best way to organize a business. A counselor back then uh, didn't check the polls to see what people might like. A counselor back then told you, in this circumstance, here is the best thing to do. This is what you ought to do. This is what will work out best. We need a counselor, don't we? Life's filled with decisions and details and disasters that we don't know what to do. So we need a counselor a lot of times, and and this world's got all kinds of counselors. But the kind that Isaiah's talking about is one that tells you, "Here's the best thing. Here's the right thing for you to do." When I was thinking about how to explain this, I remembered many years ago back when I was in the business world, had a young lady that worked in a department I had and things started going wacky in her life, I could tell, and so I found out that she was she'd gotten married not too long ago and the marriage wasn't going well. And they were separated and she didn't know if it was gonna work and I I heard all that and so I went to her and I said, you know, I you're having some troubles. I said, I know a really good counselor, a guy named Bill at church. He'd be glad to talk to you. He knows a lot about marriage. He could help. She rejected that idea. She resisted it. She didn't want to come talk to Bill. And I found out later why. I found out that her counselor was asking her what would make her happy. Her counselor gave her the advice that, well, you ought to just separate for a while. If you're not sure you love him and there's maybe somebody better out there, just separate for a while. Date around. You know, you may find out you still love him, and you may find out there's somebody better. She liked that advice. That's what she wanted to hear. She didn't want to hear what some church guy might tell her. Because he might tell her what was right, what was best. You see, when we think about counselor and why Jesus is called Wonderful Counselor, we start realizing what he really was. They brought an adulterous woman to Jesus. Jesus didn't sit down with her and talk about her past and figure out how all this happened and all that. What did he do? He told her, quit. Quit. Yeah. Don't sin anymore. Go and quit doing this wrong thing. Jesus, the wonderful counselor, had a session one day, they had a lunch session actually with a crusty old businessman that was driven by money. That was his life, was chasing money. His name was Zacchaeus. And the wonderful counselor had a session with him over lunch. And he explained to him, even though the account's not in here, I know what he explained to him. He explained to him that if you live only for money, this is what it'll do to you. If you live only for money, this is what it'll do to the people around you. And everybody will hate you. Zacchaeus recognized this as wonderful advice. He changed his life. He came out and said, I'm going to do things different from now on. See, that counsel was better than expected. It was more than a human would give, perhaps. It was wonderful. He counsels us today. And just if those of you that have been raised on his counsel, and paid attention to his counsel, and read about it, just start a list of the things he's helped you with. He's counseled me on marriage. He's counseled me on how to treat my wife. He's counseled me on my mouth, and the words that I ought to let come out of it. He counsels me on my mind and what I ought to let play inside there. He gives that kind of counsel. He's counseled me on my personal life, how to spend money, what to do with money, how to raise children, how to lead in the church. He's a wonderful counselor. Now, let me tell you two final things about the wonderful counselor. First is, I said he's counseled me about all those things. For it to do any good, I have to follow his counsel. I'm sure you figured that out. If we listen to his counsel, if we hear it, if we read it, if we hear it from another Christian that says, here's what the book says, then we got to do it. Or it doesn't do us any good. Time in the business world, I was consulting, helping some other companies do some things, and I'd had one company in particular that I worked with for a number of years, and <clears throat> then I left that business and started preaching full time. And the owner of that business would still come see me every once in a while, every few months. He'd come and he'd say, "I got a problem with this. He'd say, would you come talk to us about it and give us some advice?" And I'd usually do it. And finally, one day he came, and I said. No, I said, your, your business has got too big. You need a real consultant. You go find somebody that really knows today's business and all that. It's been years since I've been in business, and hey, you probably ought to have somebody else. And he said, Well, said, we like you. He said, Because you come listen to us and tell us what to do. And if we do it, it works. Yeah, that was one of the nicest things anybody said to me. You know, He said, now we don't always do what you tell us. But when we do it, it works. Okay? So that's the first thing to think about Jesus' wonderful counsel. Is it, The book's full of his wonderful counsel. But we've we got to do it for it to work. And like that other story about that young lady, a lot of people don't even want to hear it. They want to do something else that suits them. Secondly, I want you to think about this as we close Jesus is not the only counselor. He's one of many. The world is full of counsel. He just happens to be the one that's wonderful at it. Think about this Satan is a counselor. Satan will tell you how to do things, he'll give you advice. You know, his first clients were Adam and Eve. How'd that work out for everybody? (laughs) That wasn't good. But that's where we are sometimes. Adam and Eve had a wonderful counselor, and then they had Satan. They chose the wrong one. (laughs) Think of all the sources of counsel uh, that we get. And some of them are kind of easy to mark off, even though some people mess up and listen to them. You know, like co-workers. I've I've counseled people or talked to people that tell me what somebody told them, and I always just shake my head and think, that's amazing. You know, somebody having a little trouble at home, things aren't going so well with the spouse, so during the break, they sit down and talk it over with some guy who's been divorced four times. He said, well, I'll tell you what I'd do. Well, let me give you a clue. That's probably not going to be good counsel. We ought to discount that kind. Teenagers, you get all kinds of counsel, I'm sure, from your peers. You know, you tell somebody, your friend, man, my folks are driving me crazy. And if you've got a friend that you know has a horrible relationship with their parents, probably shouldn't listen to them. You know, they've got some counsel for you. The world's full of counselors. We've got all kinds of counsel around us, uh, but we've got to decide which one to choose. So, number one, when Jesus gives us advice, let's do it. Number two, let's make sure we pick the right counselor. In this month of uh, talking and singing and thinking about the birth of Jesus, uh, I want us to not make that mistake of focusing just on the baby. And maybe some of these names will help us do that. This one this is amazing. God was so excited about what this baby was going to do that he let it slip seven hundred years early. He said, I gotta tell you about this. said, so he's gonna be a wonderful counselor. That's what you've got to look to look forward to. That's what's coming. Of course, that's in our past, so we now just have to listen to the wonderful counselor. That we've been given. Next week, we're going to talk about Mighty God and Everlasting Father, two of his names. No one here is probably totally independent. Uh, Everybody in here takes counsel of some sort. We all get counsel somewhere. And I hope that the counsel that you're looking for, the counsel that you're receiving, the counsel you're acting on, is coming from the wonderful one. Some of you here this morning know what he counsels, but you're not doing it. You know what he wants you to do in any situation in life, but maybe especially in a a spiritual sense where your spiritual life is. You know what he wants you to do. You know what the counsel is. You're just not doing it. That's one reason we take time every time we're together to give an opportunity for you to make that change. We're going to do that this morning. We're going to sing a a song of invitation. It's not a usual song of invitation. In fact, most people call it a Christmas carol. Uh, It's not really a carol. It's a hymn. It's a great hymn. Uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Not only is it one of my favorites, but this song is filled with the names of Jesus. So this month, as we uh, think about the names of Jesus, we're going to sing this every week and remind us of some of them. Uh, Let's praise Him in this great hymn. Let's stand and sing. If you need to come, come.